Thank you, President Lednicki. And I'm just sorry that Sister Lednicki is not able to be here the last couple of days because of a speaking at a pastor's wives meeting in Canada. But they have just taken such wonderful care of us as they always do, and it's always a thrill to be here. My wife, Shirley, is here with me. Stand, please. And uh, we've been married 48 years. <clears throat> Thank you. And I can tell you, those of you who are not married, that the second most important decision you will ever make in your life, second only to the decision to receive Christ, is the decision of whom you marry. I promise you that if you're going to make it in the ministry, your mate is critically important in what you become. And so, marry wisely, as I did. I could never ask for any more from any person than Shirley has given to me and to the support of my ministry. There are a lot of things I'd like to say, but I will not take time because I have a word from the Lord that I want to bring to us today. But I want to say with everything within me, and I know a little bit about the Assemblies of God, I've made it my objective to study and know everything that moves inside the Assemblies of God for almost a half century. I've read about everything that's ever been written. I've listened and watched almost everything that ever, has ever been produced. I read meticulously the details of things that other people find very uninteresting. And I can say to you without any question that there is no institution in the Assemblies of God that has contributed more to the health and life of the Assemblies of God than Central Bible College has. And I mean that with everything in me. I also want to say with everything within me that no one has been more greatly used of God in the Assemblies of God in these last two plus decades than the president of Central Bible College and his wife. There is no one that I pray for more than I pray for President Lednicki. And that's true, except for my own family, my own associate staff, and my deacons. Because I know, whether you realize it or not, that we are at a critical time in the history of the Assemblies of God. And it is critical who fills the office of president of Central Bible College. I have tremendous love, respect, and every ounce of me, and that's quite a bit, <laughs> is in support of the president of the school. I want to say that, truthfully, some of the unsung heroes and heroines of the Assemblies of God are people who've served on the faculty and staff of this school from its inception. I'm glad God keeps a separate set of books than the general counsel sometimes keeps. And I'm glad that God has the record that's going to count when we stand at the Bema judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, a lot of people are going to be very surprised when those books are opened. 
because they are the books that really count for time and eternity. Dr. Harris, I have such appreciation for you, and you always treat us so well when we come to do the seminar class. It's a highlight, and I mean that sincerely. Well, we have the largest number of students from our church this year in Bible College and other of the colleges than we've ever had. And I'm happy to say that the majority of them are on this campus. I never feel safer than when we have students here on this campus. Now, I don't want any of you to get the idea that all of you are perfect. Because if you get that idea, I'll deflate it before the message is done. Okay. Would you please turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10? And I want to say a sincere thanks to the members of the seminar class. They made the subject of parliamentary procedure, which I have uh, been more sensitive about as trying to teach an effective class in than probably any assignment I've ever had. And uh, you have just done wonderfully, and my thanks to you. God bless you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, moreover, brothers... I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent. We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be you idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur you, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the age are come. Now I want to create a little bit of a dynamic in this room this morning, if you will allow me. I want to adopt all of you into my family. Now, don't ask me to pay your tuition, but uh, just for a few moments, I want to adopt you into my family. Most of you in the room are young enough to be my grandsons and granddaughters. We're blessed to have four sons and daughters and eight grandsons and granddaughters, equal number of each. But let me just adopt you in. And those of you who are a little older, become my sons, our daughters, or become my brothers, sisters. I want to speak to you this morning for a few minutes as an elder of this church, the Assemblies of God. I want to appeal to you. Now see, I never come on this campus to speak in any setting but what I know that I am speaking to the people who will, before long, lead this church, the Assemblies of God. If you travel the world, 
you will discover that the major number of top leaders throughout this world in the Assemblies of God came out of this institution. And that's a fact. And so you are not just someone. You are the future leaders. And I'm not talking about a long ways out yonder. I'm talking about very soon. One of the things that will surprise you as you move through life is how quickly life passes. Used to, it seems only a few years ago, in any gathering of ministers, I was one of the youngest. It only seems a short time ago. And now there's hardly ever a gathering that I'm a part of of what I'm one of the oldest and often the oldest. Time does pass quickly. So we're not talking about future leaders generations from now. I'm talking to leaders who will influence tremendously the direction and the scope of ministry of the Assemblies of God in a very short time. I've had a little tune running through my mind the last two or three days as I anticipated this service. And when I just give you a little of it, you'll know that Heart Song didn't sing it. <laughs> Nor did the campus choir sing it. <clears throat> it's a song that I don't know who wrote it or the origination of it, or I'd give credit or blame, whichever. The song says, Detour. There's a muddy road ahead. Detour. Paid no heed to what it said. Should have read the detour sign. I want to today just very quickly flash before us seven detour danger signs that I see in our church, the Assemblies of God. Now all the children of Israel of the generation that came out of Egypt experienced tremendous things. They all crossed the Red Sea. They all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and drank of that spiritual rock. And isn't it astounding that the scripture says that rock that followed them was Christ. They drank of Christ though they lived under the dispensation that even predated the law and then under the law, they partook of Christ. It's astounding. And yet, did all of those who started toward the promised land arrive? We all know different, don't we? The tragedy is that all of those 20 years of age and above died in the wilderness. Only two Joshua and Caleb, who were 20 years of age or above, went into the promised land. What happened to the rest? They fell in the wilderness. Now, if we don't listen to what God is saying to us, we will perish. Now, let me say something of great confidence. I have no scripture, I have no thought that would contradict this fact, and that is that once a person or a group of persons 
of whatever scope or size are on the right road with the Lord. No one ever gets off of that right road without going through danger signs abundantly. I just finished reading again the entire scope of history of the children of Israel. And I note that time after time, God would send prophets. God would send people to warn them when they were getting off of the right road and going in the wrong direction. Now, I I must say to you that I do not believe in the extreme teaching of the eternal and, uh, and unconditional security of believers. I do not believe that. I do not believe the Bible teaches that. But I want to tell you that if you truly are saved, it's not as easy as a lot of people think to be lost. God will battle with everything he has available to him to keep us on the right road. The only way, the only way that a person can be lost once they are truly saved is by deliberately, willfully disobeying God and his leading by the Holy Spirit. So God always gives us warnings. I have never talked to a person in private private counseling who has made a great error of judgment or committed sin as a Christian. But what that person will confess that they went through warning sign after warning sign after warning sign. God is faithful. But God will never take control over our will. He will not make us do it. He will not make us serve him. Now I got news for you. He can make you very willing to serve him. He can make you very willing to obey him. But the ultimate call is in your hands. Let me hurry because I only have a few minutes. I want to flash before us today the warning sign for us individually and for our church, our movement. We must be cautious as we go through the process that we are heavily involved in of redefining holiness. The Assemblies of God is, by history, a holiness church. And may God keep us holy, for the power of God only flows out of holy lives. Don't ever forget it. You build God a devotional life, and God will build you a ministry. You focus on building ministry and neglect your devotional life and you'll never have a ministry that counts. Build God a devotional house in your private life and God will build your ministry and he'll use you in ways that will astound you and everybody else who knows you. We must be careful as we go through this process of redefining holiness. Some of us in this room who are older remember when we had very stringent rules to follow. Shirley and I have talked several times since we've been on campus about the stringent rules this campus operated under for decades. I tell you, they may have been too stringent at times, 
They may have been too detailed at times. But let me say something. We are in danger of going so far the other direction until we lose real holiness from our lives. It's going to take wisdom from God to help us navigate through these tricky waters as we redefine holiness. We need to stay on Scripture. We need to understand that God says, Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Holiness ultimately is a private matter between an individual and God. It's who you and I are in the white-hot presence of a holy God that really determines whether we are a holy person or not. It's not what someone else thinks or even observes. Although I'm convinced that true holiness that is on the inside also comes out on the outside, upside, downside, right side, left side, and every side. (laughs) Don't try to say that too fast unless you've practiced it. Now secondly, there is a danger sign flashing because oftentimes in our process of becoming more and more affluent and more and more sophisticated that we have begun to narrow at times the definition of what is sin. In fact, someone wrote not long ago a book that settled that said, whatever happened to sin? So many pulpits are almost totally silent on the subject of sin, and when sin is talked about, it is talked about in such generalized terms until no one understands what the preacher means to say. (laughs) May God help us to understand that sin is hated by God. And the truly holy child of God must learn to hate sin, whatever form it appears in. And especially we must learn to hate the sin that so easily besets us. We must be careful lest we so narrow our definition of sin until we become committers of sin. I want to tell you, The scope of revival is never, never, never limited by the sin of the unbeliever. It is only limited by the sin of believers. It's the sin in the church that causes God's hand to have to stay instead of move. It's sin in the church that keeps the Spirit of God to be unable to function and operate as great as he wants to and would if it wasn't for sin in the church. Don't bother me with sins in the world. I am burdened enough for sins that I struggle with and sins in the church. Number three, the danger that we have faced and are facing, listen carefully, of trying to stretch the boundaries inside which the Holy Spirit works. Please hear this preacher. Hear me as I say to you that the history of this church, the Assemblies of God, 
has been protected and sheltered by the fact that we have always contended that the Holy Spirit and the Word always agree. Glory to God. Always agree. And when we have faced dangers like we faced with the latter rain movement of the 1940s and early 50s that threatened the life of this movement, our founding fathers and those elders among us held the line to say that the Holy Spirit does not go where the Word does not attend. May we always hold that. You don't have to stretch the boundaries. Just allow the Holy Spirit to have your life completely yielded to Him in holiness and He will do all that needs to be done on any occasion without anyone stretching the boundaries. Glory to God. Number four, I want to flash before us today the warning that some would move us off of the foundation upon which the church is built. I remind us that Jesus set up on this rock who he is and the confession of him being the Christ, the Son of the living God. He has built a church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.11, other foundation can no man lay. And Ephesians 2.20 says, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And on and on. Let me tell you, friend, there is no modern apostle and no modern prophet upon which the church of Jesus Christ can be built. God have mercy. Let us stay built upon the foundation that has proven true for almost 2,000 years of church history. Let us not move that foundation. Number five, and I wish I had an hour for this one. We are needing to hear the danger of accepting truth that is not built on Scripture. Now, there is a saying abroad today that sounds so right, it even sounds holy. All truth is God's truth. Well, folks, I hate to tell you, if you believe that, you are absolutely wrong. Jesus said, my word is truth. We must have an objective standard by which we judge everything else. In the U.S. Office of Weights and Measures in D.C., there is a perfect measurement for everything that measurements are based on, standards are based on in America. Everything ultimately that is weighed on any scale or measured by any device is to be based upon that absolute standard. May I say to us today that all truth must be tested by God's standard. He gave us the written word not to subjectively change as we feel, but to come to the word. Let me tell you one of the things that God taught me early on. I wish I could always say I'd done it. But he taught me that I'm never to come to the word to try to change the word to fit me. I'm to come to the Word to let the Word change me to fit in. 
That's a good, good, uh, special word to adopt into your life. Number six, let me flash the warning signal that too often we have accepted a new birth experience. Please hear it. A new birth experience that does not produce changed lives. Now, I'm, I'm sure others will not want to do this, but I've, I've drawn a line in our church to where I've said to our people, if you want me to hit you in the head with a sledgehammer, let me ever hear you tell somebody they're saved. You see, if you have to tell a person they're saved, they're not. Because the scripture says, his spirit bears witness with our, with our spirit that we are children of God. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean to tell you that when a person has prayed a certain prayer or showed a certain emotion and we say to them, now you're saved. If they're not, and many of them are not, they probably will never want to be saved because they think they are. I want to tell you, if a person truly gets born again, you won't have to tell them. They'll know it. And if, if they are truly born again, others around them will know it without them having uh, somebody having to subjectively say, now you're saved. The millions and millions and millions of people who are reported saved every year, if they were all truly saved, every person in America would be saved two or three times at least. And most of the people in the world would have been saved several times. The tragedy is that we have adopted attitudes toward building the church that are building crowds and often not building the body of Christ. May God have mercy. You say, Pastor, you sure are negative. No, I'm just a realist. See, I have to live where the rubber meets the road. We have had on occasions a few days in which we have had several hundred people come forward to pray a prayer and to confess Christ. And after follow-up that was absolutely detailed and meticulous, only a few could be found. Well, let me, let me just move on, number seven, and finally... I want to flash the warning signal that oftentimes we have accepted and adopted a baptism in the Holy Spirit that produces tongues but no power. Now please don't misunderstand me. There is no one who's ever lived inside the assemblies of God that believes more in the initial physical evidence than I do. And I would do anything within my power to keep any person from ever being credentialed in the assemblies of God that does not sign off on the belief that once a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. But I want to tell you, friend, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just about tongues. In fact, it's about power. Jesus said... You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses. Jesus said to the disciples, I give you power 
over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I give you power to tread upon scorpions and upon serpents. Those are, of course, symbols of demonic powers. But let me close by saying that, folks, we can do all we will outwardly, but when you move into the realm of spiritual action, you encounter a force that does not yield to human personality, does not yield to numbers of people on the membership roster. It does not, it does not yield to the amount of money owned or controlled by a church. In the spiritual realm, only spiritual power works. Listen to the word. Paul I know, and with Jesus I'm very well acquainted. But who are you? If you and I are going to engage the spiritual forces of our present world individually or collectively, we must have power that only comes from one source, and that's from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit power is the only power that will work in the spirit realm when we engage the forces of evil. And God help us that we have more than just tongues. When we move into that arena, we better have the power of God flowing in our lives. I want to make an appeal to every one of you today to say... By God's grace and help, I will be one that will watch the danger signs and stay on the main road instead of detouring off where I can be lost. Would you come to this altar, if you will, and let's dedicate ourselves to be one of those who will stay on the main road, the road that leads to victory and life everlasting. God bless you. Thank you, Dr. Lidnick. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's stand together, please. And those of you who want to receive this word in your heart and spend time around the altar, I invite you to come right now.